Welcome to the Power Element Podcast, episode 18. I'm producer Paul. Thanks for joining us. All right, I step in as host today, and I'm joined by a very special guest, Tony Vega. Tony's been in the trade for 54 years. Uh, we get right into the conversation about his early life. Tony opens up and shares some incredible stories about his time in Vietnam. And then we get into trade talk, safety, culture, just general line work. Uh, Tony has some fantastic insight. I think you guys will get a lot uh, of great value in this episode. All right, we'll get to the show, but first, let me get through our promotional partners. First up, as always, our friends from Jelco. Quality fall protection since 1892. Pole straps, harnesses, arborists, and much, much more all can be found at Jelco. Safety on Instagram. Next up, working athlete. Use promo code POWERELEMENT to save yourself 20% off, 20% off at checkout for all your nutritional and hydration needs. Check them out on Instagram at working athlete. Klein Tools, the number one choice among professionals in the trade. They just sent us over some hard hats, uh, some premium webbing inside those hard hats. It's a great fit, it's cozy, top-notch hard hat. You can check them out on Instagram at Klein underscore tools. Co-Eyewear, affordable safety and style eyewear. Eyewear that's ANSI Z87 plus high impact tested. Guess what? We got a promo code for you. Use promo code POWERELEMENT at checkout. You can find them at Co-Eyewear on Instagram. Next up, Superior Glove, the leader in industrial safety gloves and sleeves. Check out, check them out on Instagram at Superior underscore Glove. All right, last one, Buckingham Manufacturing. Top sellers are the Super Saver, Buck Alloy Pole Climber Kit, and a Tool Holder. Just to name a few, you can find them on Instagram at Buckingham underscore MFG. All right, special thank you to Lyman Mama, High Voltage Commando, Milwaukee Tool, and Alternating Current Line Clothing. All right, special thank you to the entire Sturgeon Electric California workforce. Appreciate you. Without this, without you, this podcast would not be possible. Uh, thank you for all the hard work. I appreciate you guys very much. Thank you. All right, time to get to the show. Once again, that's the Power Element Podcast, episode 18 with Tony Vega. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show. This is the Power Element Podcast. I'm producer Paul. Raul will be sitting out this one again. Uh, as you know, in line work, in life, in the podcast, life as well. Next man up. Uh, this man has been the next man up right here in front of me for a long time. 54 plus years to be exact in the trade. Uh, 35 of those years uh, directly working as a, as a journeyman lineman. Been in safety last uh, maybe 20 years, we'll say. Uh, probably about 20 years, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, journeyman lineman, Tony Vega. How you doing, brother? Yeah, thank you very much. I like that intro. Uh, um, Tony Vega, that sounds pretty good. That's nice, man. Uh-huh. You're, uh, you're, you're, uh, you're a 
stand-up comedian on Thursday uh, Thursday safety meetings, and uh, you always kind of just uh, set the mood. You usually deliver uh, a good uh, a good uh, let's see uh, a good vibe. A good you give off a good relaxing message, and then and then you get into your safety message. But right. Well, thank you. I, I like to do that because. Uh, I always found out that you make people comfortable, let them know that, you know, you're an actually person, you know, you're out there and, and, uh, you get into it and they feel like they can talk back to you. Uh, sometimes it gets a little off color, but then you have to pull it back in, but, uh, it's a good thing. Yeah, it is. And, and, and even with your message, uh, everyone, everyone always kind of lights up when you, when you step up to the, the center stage at the safety meeting and, uh, there's one common denominator. Everyone's listening. Everyone listens when Tony Vegas speaks. So. Hey, I, I like that. I really, you know, and if they don't, I'll go hitting them ahead the hard hat. So <laughs> we'll do it one way or the other. That's right. Uh, all right, Tony, before we get into all that, um, you, you got an incredible story. Um, uh, and I don't want to talk too much about it at, in this introduction. I, I, want to, I want to start from the beginning. Tony Vega, how did it all start? How, how did Tony Vega come into, come into this world here? That's, that's really, really good because... Uh, my parent, and I say my parent, one of them, uh, he's uh, off the reservation of Sells, uh, Arizona. He's a Papago Indian, which is part of the Tano Ohano Reservation. And he grew up over there and wanted more. And so he left Arizona and came to California and kind of laid down in Redlands and started picking oranges and doing whatever he could. Uh, that's where he met my mother. And she was... Uh, probably about three quarters or even half Apache. So we put Apache with Papago together and they had little Tony Vega. And so, uh, I am a native American and very proud of that. That's awesome. Um, did you grow up with native American roots and, and, and traditions in, in your household? Well, it was kind of rough for my dad for a while because he was, I think he, he he was proud that he got actually to third grade. So that was a lot off the reservation. So when he came over here, no education, uh, but he was a hard worker. And that's pretty much was instilled to me when, in my growing up. But part of my uh, growing up was different areas. I I even lived in Tijuana for a while, lived in uh, Ensenada. Uh, at one point when I came back into the United States, all I could speak was Spanish. Whoa. And here I am, a Native American, and now I can't speak. I can speak very little. Did you blend um, in locally uh, in, the, in the population there? In, in, well, in the Mexican population? during that time, and that's what you, what you have to call, and call it the Mexican population, because during that time, uh, you found the area where your, your uh, culture was at, and that's where you laid down. You didn't go to cross the other side of uh, town because that wasn't your part of town. Sure. Uh, the tracks were our area on the other side, and uh, that's where most of the family was at, and that's where I grew up. Uh, family brought you down there to Mexico, or, or uh, well, was that work? No, this is, work? this is when we got back into Redlands, because we moved back, because most of the family came back, and they started getting together, and I had an uncles and aunts. And during that time, like you said, you found your area where your family was at, and the whole family lived there. It could be uncles, um their brothers, my grandfathers, all of us, we all lived pretty much in the same area. Were you an only child? I was until 13 years later after I was uh, in going to Vietnam. Well, let's back up a little bit. All I can say is he was 13 years old, uh, younger than me. 
What was your dad doing for work? Your parents. Okay. My, my dad, when he f- was, like I said, he started picking oranges and doing whatever he could. Um, it was a, he was a smart man. He was a hard worker and he learned a lot. Uh, one time, uh, there was a bowling alley in Redlands. It was called the empire bowl. And they asked him, uh, if he wanted to be a laborer, start digging ditches Well, he worked so hard during that time that they offered him a job as a janitor. He said, I'll do anything, you know, I, I need to make money. I have a family. So he started doing that. And the manager of the bowling alley seen him and said, you know what, uh, let's go ahead and train him to do uh, certain things and make him a mechanic. So he learned how to uh, work on the automatic pin setters, uh, the machines. And then uh, they sent him back to Pennsylvania where he learned how to be the manager and he became the manager and that's where he retired from. It was his hardworking ethic that... Uh, that's what it was. I mean, he always instilled that. And my mother always made sure that uh, uh, I I was always at school. In fact, uh, I all that time, I never missed a day of, of school. Not no one, not, way. Not one day. Was it more... Was your mom more or less the one accountable for you because your dad was working? Or... No, not, that's one thing about my dad. My dad was there all the time. I mean, if I played Little League, he was there. If I played football, he was there. doesn't matter what it was. Uh, I could play, be playing on JV football where nobody goes out to see you, and I could look up in the stadiums, and there he was. Was he just proud of you, or just he just wanted to be there? No, he wanted to be there, make sure. If I get teary-eyed a little bit, uh, just kind of work with me a little bit because certain things bother me. You're good, yeah. Um how about your mother? What were some qualities of your mother? Uh, made sure that uh, she took care of my father. <laughs> that, that was that was pretty much her, her job uh, foremost uh, when he came home from working. And like I said, he picked oranges. And when he came home, that food better be ready to go. But my my father was always good to my mother. There was never any problem. We were poor, but every, we had everything we needed. We had a lot of love in the house. Poor as in? Secondhand clothes, uh, did you You guys always knew where that next meal was coming from? Or? We always knew that that came first, that and me being clothed. And if I was sick, made sure that everything was okay. Um, my mother would do without before my dad did. Right. Wow. Just because she knew he was the breadwinner, the yeah, provider. Yeah, right. And he, they, they, she took care of everybody. She made sure that everything went right. What did you guys do for fun? If you, like you mentioned, you guys weren't uh, abundantly wealthy. So what, what would you guys do for fun as family time? Uh, head to the beach? Uh, what was that kind of, what was that like? That was good, you know, and it, it's something that you, you look back. And my dad, uh, he hated fishing, I remember. This one story that I had. And uh, we'd worked all day doing some kind of carpentry work. And he worked as uh his tail off doing this all this work and he i think for the whole day maybe he might made uh 15 or whatever it was yeah but uh that day we went down to a sporting goods and he bought me a fishing pole mm-hmm. so i could go fishing mm-hmm. but uh uh whatever i needed if i needed a baseball bat uh i i know sometimes that uh i had a favorite baseball bat and i busted it but we didn't have a lot of money to replace it. Yeah. And so he fixed it and put it back together. And I don't know how he did it, but I had a, my old baseball back. But he made sure that he was there all the time. If, if something was going on, if it was possible, he was going to be there. And my mother was right next to him. That's awesome. And that could help mold 
I mean, you talk about your career over 54 plus years in the trade. It's something more. And that's why I can always like to talk about the beginning stages. And, and usually if you see someone with that discipline, or that dedication, it's going to rely, it's going to come back onto their, the way they were raised. Uh, so I think it's important. I, I know it's a, it's a very emotional story for you and, and I appreciate you sharing it, but I, I do think there's some value that, uh, that our listeners get and, and it's always good to talk about. Um, is there anything your dad would always say just when it sounded like you, you'd go to work with him? Was there anything that just kind of stick, stuck out in your mind? Like if you had to say, he, he said a few things that really stuck with Tony Vega. What, what was there something he said? One thing uh, he says, you know what? If you tell somebody you're going to do a job and you're going to be there, doesn't matter what happened the day before, you're going to be there the next day and let them people know that uh, you're ready to work. Have you always been, and you've, you've carried that through your career? I have. I, I've always done that. I've always liked to work. I know I'm in a position now that I'm older, and maybe I doesn't, don't show that I, I do a lot of the physical stuff and stuff, but I'm, I'm here every day. I, I'm, I try and make sure that uh, what I do, the, do, the work that I do is quality work, and that's what I want. Yeah, you've always been available. And, and like you said, 6 a.m., you're there, you're at the yep. yard, right. you have a presence, you're, you're cruising around with your mm-hmm. golf cart and yep. your strobe. And, and uh, some of the, the uh, things that my father did, it was a, there was a possibility to make more money. Sometimes he took another job to make more money to give us more. Uh, I pretty much picked up that ethics. Uh, whenever there was time to work extra, I was there. I volunteered. I made sure that, hey, I'll go ahead and do that. I'll uh, go ahead and work on a holiday. There was times I was out there on uh, Thanksgiving Day, I, just as long as I could get home and have uh, dinner with the family, I was fine, but yet I was still making money. I would work on New Year's. I'd work on Christmas, and, and sometimes I feel bad about it, but my, my, my children, they, they understand because – but some of those qualities passed off from my father to me. I passed them on to them. And one is a, a, a works for the fire department in Phoenix, and he'll work all the overtime that he can, too, to do that. Uh, one I have one that works for Apple. Same thing. He'll work real hard and do whatever he can. There's usually no problem at all. Um, one of my sons, uh, he's in Utah, and he doesn't like to work. <laughs> There's always the one. <laughs> There's always one. He's the oldest one. He he says, nah, you know, but. Uh. See, that was because you probably coddled him as your first yeah, one. Yeah, I and, think it was. Well, that's to tell you the truth. When I was in Vietnam, that was the one that was born. that was back here. And so the wife kind of really took care of him, and, oh. you know, so made a big baby out we'll of him. We'll call him the mama's boy. Yeah, man. he was the mama's boy. That's awesome. Um, all right. You know, it's bringing it up. Let, let's talk about Vietnam. Obviously, this, this is a. Uh, uh, this is when these are one of these stories that don't that that, uh, that don't come come too often, and, and we're fortunate enough to have Tony Vega and uh, Richard Henderson, two Vietnam veterans um, that that work here for Sturgeon Electric California. Um, and it's just a, a crucial crucial part of American history, uh, just to look back and, and uh, not f- never forget. And that's a term that's used a little more frequently now, but we should never forget our our, vet, our Vietnam veterans and what they had to endure and, and especially just the, the impact that that era had on, on our, our life and just society and just our, our, our freedoms today. Uh, let's talk about that, Tony. So leading up to, uh, I know you're drafted in 67, but what, what was going on a little bit before that 65, 64, what's going on there? Okay. For you, um, I was, uh, I was doing pretty good. I thought I was, I was a, a baseball player 
and I, I wasn't wasn't a bad ball player. In fact, I went to go uh, uh, play at one of the universities to play on the baseball team. Um, I got a spot. Uh, for some reason, one of the coaches says, "Well, he's got a pretty good arm. Let's make a quarterback out of him in uh, in football." And uh, so, of course, my nickname for everybody out there is number eleven. And I've had the number eleven ever since I was in uh, little league and Pop Warner and all that. So I kind of liked that, and I was number eleven playing football. Uh, so I went, did that, and but all of a sudden. Um, I couldn't get any money. I didn't really have a job or anything like that. So I had to drop out of school a little bit. I was going to kind of, uh, see if I can get a job, make some money so I could pay for my tuition. Uh, between that time though, um, Mr. President says, you know what, greetings, uh, you're going to, uh, the service. So, uh, I had a, I had a child at that time because I got married young. I got married just turning 18 years old. And under the rules, I really didn't have to go. But my uncles and my aunt, not my, not my aunts, my uncles and my brother, not my brothers either, I'm getting off a little bit, but my, my grandfather, they were all in the service in World War II, and they all fought, and I used to watch them, and they talked about it, and I said, you know what, that's uh, something I wanted to do, to have service for my country. And so I felt in my heart that, you know, that's something that I'm going to do. So I let them take me to the service. Uh, I had second thoughts later on, but I'm there now. And I went to Fort Ord, California, did my basic. And at that time, I said, you know, this is not really the greatest thing in the world. Uh, so I'll make myself uh, expendable where I'll get so smart where they won't send me to Vietnam. So I qualified for uh, radio school. So I went to uh, Georgia. I went to radio school. And then I qualified for crypto, which was uh, kind of a secret thing. You know, I had a, yeah. a, a top secret clearance. I said, man, they're never going to send me to Vietnam. And all of a sudden, uh, it was two weeks later, and we got uh, order for the whole battalion that was going to go to Vietnam. And then, so they took all this fancy equipment that I had and gave me a radio and I was going to carry a radio on my back in Vietnam. Let me let me stop. Let me go back real quick. Um, I want I want to get back to right where you go to Vietnam, Vietnam. But I want to ask. I think it's important because the draft, and, and to me, it's amazing. It's it's really. I went voluntarily. Mm-hmm. I went right after nine eleven. But I was going to go either way. There, and and we did not have a draft at that time. But let me take me through that draft. It, it's they make the announcement and then. It's it's a lottery. They're picking numbers. You get a, is it, you're gonna tell uh you getting a, something in the mail. What, what's going on there? Okay, it's uh, are, are you ner- are you nervous? Are you are you just you're like well, man? I'm gonna get I'm gonna get my number picked. To tell you the truth, I didn't really know what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> just too busy playing ball. I, I, huh? And I hey, I just barely got a job when I came back that I was gonna make some money. And uh, in our area, we had Kaiser Steel, which one of the biggest uh, steel producers in uh, Southern California. So that morning, I was uh, I I got a job there. When I went home, my wife gave me a letter. She says, "Hey, here's a letter." Oh, and they says. Uh, Greetings from the president of the United States. I said, you know what? I've, I've got a report. And so it really didn't bother me. I said. Did uh, it say the Army? You reported to the Army? No, it doesn't say anything because all you're going to go down for a physical first. So you get on a bus on a certain morning along with maybe 60 other guys. 
they transport you from there to Los Angeles and you're going to get your physical and see if you're going to be okay for the, for the draft. And so I passed all the physical, uh, a test and then they put us in a big line and this big, ugly Sergeant, and maybe I shouldn't say that, but he came out and started yelling and screaming and he started pointing at everybody and giving them a number. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. I said, what the hell is that all about? And all of a sudden he says, okay, you men, uh, everybody that has a number four step, one step forward, you are now a United States Marine. Holy shit. See, I said, man, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm still going to Vietnam. Well, yeah, I saw, no, I still going in the service. And uh, that's what it was. Uh, the, the ones that were number fours, they all went to Marine. down to San Diego, down there to wherever they did their stuff. And we, I went to uh, Fort Ord, California and, 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 and I'm sorry, um, my American history, and, and I'm just, just kind of off. But at, at this point, you're getting drafted. What's what's the war like? It's just it's full blown. And it's just uh, to, in '67. It, it's getting ugly. Already. Or '65. And well, '65 is when they first started, and it was you know everybody didn't exactly know what was going to go on. Okay. Um, right around the late part of '66 and '67, it really started growing, getting bad over there. Uh, in 68, when we were in the Tet Offensive and all that, it really got bad. Okay, so you get drafted, you, you pick the, the Army number, and, you, and then you go to Fort Org. Right. Uh, you kiss, you, are they, uh, how, from right there, they give you your number. Are you able to go home, kiss your wife goodbye, or is it you're cutting your hair? And No, no, you're, you're putting another bus that's waiting Holy for you right shit. there. Holy uh, shit. No, and you didn't need it, really any clothes or anything because <laughs> they were going to take you, and they uh, that night uh, we were on a bus, we pulled into Fort Ord uh, maybe one in the morning, and these uh, sergeants car came running in the bus, start yelling, "Get out of there! Get out of there! Get in line and stuff." So I really didn't know what was going on, and they marched us over this one place, and they gave us some pillows and some blankets, and then we slept for a while. And they said, "It's now it's about three in the morning," and said, "We'll get you guys up at five thirty in the morning, and we're going to go ahead and start this process." And so that's what they did. They they started. Um, the process of us uh, getting our uniforms and our underwear and Cutting everything else. Yep, they did all that stuff. And, and then now we started learning how to be soldiers. All right, let's uh, let's let's go fast forward. Then uh, I appreciate that, man. That's just it, the draft. It just amazes me. And mm -hmm. um, uh, you never know if we'll ever go back to that in our American history, into our, our mm -hmm. moving forward. But it's just like I could not imagine. Like I said, for me, it was voluntarily, but. Um, I could never imagine just on that fence of, of, uh, of having to go. And especially when it's a time of war and ha how you feel objective to that war. Right. It's just amazing. And you know, one thing about it too, that I remember is when I woke up in the morning, I saw all these buildings. Cause when I got there, it was dark, but now all these buildings are sitting there and every building had a bunch of men in there just like us. And there was thousands of us and we were going to get all processed out, get, uh, trained, and go do what we were going to do. Let me talk about the economy real quick. Because um, uh, you hear about World War II stories, and you talk about the whole economy, American economy, supporting a war. Metal, textiles, uh, food, everything is just going to, to, to feed that war. Was, was there anything going on in, in that sense? I know you said you really didn't know what was going on, so I'm assuming that uh, maybe it was just kind of, you're like, that's their problem, that's, uh, that's another ocean away, like that's not their problem, and you're just kind of going through your life. You kind of remember that? Yeah, I do. My outlook was different. I already had it in my my mind is uh, you know, I'm I'm going to do something for this country, 
and I'm going to go over there and protect it. Uh, but the mindset of most of the country was completely different. Yeah. Uh, and their mind was that we shouldn't be there. We shouldn't be doing that. And so the, the government, it was kind of like herding us away from them. They want to make sure that we didn't get in the general population type uh, people that uh, they felt everything that was going on was going to kind of taint us. And then there would be a lot of draft dodgers or a lot of guys that were taken off and not staying there. But uh, we, most of us stayed there. Of course, there was a few that took off, uh, but a lot of us completed our uh, basic training and did what we were supposed to do. Wow. Amazing. Unreal. Uh, these, these stories have to be time capsuled and just, and just cherished. It's, right. it's just amazing. All right, Tony, let's go back to uh, you graduating crypto school. You get orders. You're going to Vietnam. What, what's Okay. Going? Remember I told you, I says, you know, if I make myself really smart, yeah, important here <laughs> because not very many people do this. Yeah. Uh, this is hard, you know, and I was, I was doing all this. And when they gave me that, uh, they took away all that fancy equipment. It was fancy then, okay. It was probably sticks and stones now, but uh, and they say, okay, you're gonna have to get used to. Uh, you're gonna be a radio operator. It was just a piece of paper because now I was gonna be shipped someplace else. I was gonna go to Texas now, and I was gonna go learn how to be a jungle fighter. Oh shit! Say, and that wasn't very long because it was the training to get ready for Vietnam was only a month long. Jungle training to jungle fight in Texas. Yeah, well, I don't know how they did that, but they put us out there, and they had this big place up, and it looked like Vietnam, and, you know, and uh, uh, we we kind of laughed, you know. It was like a, a set over in Hollywood or something yeah. like that. I said, look at this, man, you know. It'll look, I bet you they don't even know what Vietnam looks like. So, and it wasn't. When uh, we left there and we got in Vietnam, uh, there, was, there wasn't the snakes over there. It wasn't the tigers over there. There wasn't uh, people trying to shoot at you and stuff like that. So let's go, let's go back real quick. Texas to Vietnam. You, you flying? Is that a ship? What's going on there? Okay. When we get, we flew into, to, uh, I like the details. Tell okay, me. We flew into Texas and they bust you into, to your compound area and stuff like that, because you're going to take advanced training. And here I'm taking advanced training, getting ready for, for Vietnam. Um, it wasn't a lot, a lot of training. It was a lot that you had to know. We'd already qualified with, uh, we qualified with M14s at, at, uh, Ord, but now we were going to use another type of rifle, which was an M16. And really we never even picked one or saw one when we were in Texas. And finally, uh, we were issued rifles right before we were getting onto a ship in Oakland Bay. There was two ships there. One was the USS Upshur, and I really can't remember what the other ship was, but each ship was going to carry about uh, 2,200 infantry outfit people. And so it was kind of scary because they flew us over to Oakland, and then as soon as we got on the tarmac, we were uh, um, guarded by M16s to make sure that nobody took off. From from the airport, Holy and they put you on buses, and then they took you over to the docks. And the guns, the M16s are pointed at towards... Well, they're holding them there, so if any, you know, well, we don't know what's going on. Oh. So, so now they're getting ready, and they're going to put you on these troop ships. And so it was going to take us 22 days to get say, to yeah. Vietnam. I'm in the Navy, and it's yeah. a, that's a long haul. Yeah, see, because we stopped off in Okinawa for a while, and 
you being in the Navy, you know what a, a typhoon in the middle of the ocean. Oh, yeah. We ran into one of those. And I'd never been so sick in all my life because I couldn't figure out what they were doing. They were pulling in all these trash cans and they, and then they put, uh, you know, the, the bags inside the trash cans. I said, what are these for? He says, you'll find out. <laughs> and sure enough. And they says, and the merchant Marines that were running the ship, they said, Oh, by the way, we have uh, greasy ribs tonight. So make sure you eat a lot of them. So, <laughs> so we ate all these ribs, and sure enough, we filled up that can. <laughs> But for, for three days, that's what we had was a typhoon. And I says, what's happening to the ship? He says, hey, you don't want to know because it's going underneath the water. And it was when it dived down in the, the I guess they call it the bow. Is that the front part? Yeah, there you go. It, it went underneath the water. It would cover the whole ship and then it would come up. Then we'd go to the right and we'd go to the left. We'd go back. We'd go down. We'd go up. And so that's why we had all those ribs that were in the trash can. I, I tell you what. Um and it's funny you experienced that because I remember distinctly the two times that I've been uh, sick and I just never want to go down that path again. Oh. Once was seasick sickness uh-huh. out of Virginia, 20 foot swells, same thing. It was a, it was a storm. It's just, I'm all, literally on my hands and knees. Mm-hmm. And then the first time I had a Cuban cigar, a real oh, one, I, I thought I was going to about die. Oh, gee. But uh, anyways, okay, so uh, there you are, Army. What's that? Well, let me ask you a question. Go ahead, okay? yeah, for sure. Okay, now we're talking about this ship. Are yeah. you are you a shellback? I'm a, I'm a golden shellback. I did the oh. uh, International Dateline. Okay, line. Yeah. and I'm a shellback. There you go. See? And there's a lot of Navy guys that not aren't shellbacks. Uh, yeah. So maybe you want to tell these people what a shellback is. Uh, you cross the equator. Um and your shellback, and then you get the the golden shellback. You cross the international dateline and equator. So um, there, there was a little bit of a process when I got in the, in the military in two thousand. When I did that, that was probably about two thousand three, two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Uh, they try to keep the tradition. Uh, there's some there's some pretty cool stuff to play out the whole Neptune scene. Right, and I had the Neptune, and he slapped slapped me in the face with the fish, and yeah. then you had to kiss his belly and oh, all that stuff. Yeah, so, yeah I did all weird, that stuff. Weird yeah. stuff. Yeah, so, so. I remember we had a so disgusting the cooks made eggs and they put all the eggs on a plate and you put your hands behind your back and the whole line of uh, of of everyone who's not i can't remember the name right now uh-huh. wog i think it was uh who's not a shellback you have to eat from the eggs and it just keeps going down the line and it's just it's just yeah, disgusting so. but uh, i always pull that out i said you know what i'm a shellback and i talked to some of the guys that were on uh, aircraft carriers and stuff, and none of them. I know I'm not a shell. I'm, I'm a shellback. That's good. You don't see. You don't come across a lot of army yeah, guys. That's, that's right. That's you right. don't. So we were shellbacks. But anyway, I go. after the after the typhoon, they says, uh, you know, we're gonna pull into uh, uh, what did I say was Okinawa? Okinawa, yeah, was because you guys don't know how to use water, and we told you guys not to use the 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 good water when you take showers. Just get wet, yep. wash up, and rinse off. But mm-hmm. no, not you guys. So they put the, the seawater on us to take baths, and that's no good. That's no good. Uh-uh. And the thing is, they had to pull in for more drinking water. And uh, I says, you know what? Forget forget Okinawa. Let's just bypass and get us to Vietnam. <laughs> I was ready to go to Vietnam already because I didn't want to be on a ship no more. <laughs> good thing you didn't choose the number three <laughs> Navy. Right. I didn't want to. Uh, that was terrible. I mean. <laughs> Oh, it was awful. Man, that's crazy. All right, Tony, uh Bam, Vietnam. You're in, you're you, you're there. What's what's going on? I, I mean, I have only my imagination from from movies is only bringing me there. Is, is that kind of 
how it was. Is it beach? Is it uh, you know rice field? What's going What's going on when Tony Vega hits hits the the, the quote unquote Vietnam beach? You, you know, I'm I'm glad you asked that because uh, here we dock in Cameron Bay, and we're in these this big ship, and in the morning, all of these uh, LSTs. Okay, they're transporters that uh, they put you down in the hole, like the kind John Wayne landed up on the beach, and the front of the front of the ship opens up, and you come running out and shooting people and all this stuff. I, so all our thoughts were, he says, "Man, tomorrow we're going to be in for it." So they take us off the ship and uh, put us on these LSTs, and all night long we go around in circles. And so here you're worried. You can't sleep because you're worrying about the morning, what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden it says, okay, we're going to start issuing ammunition. Mm. I said, oh, man, mm. that's, that's, that's bad news. So not, not telling you a lot. You're not, you're, <laughs> you don't know much. You're just, you're yeah, in you, you're, you're, you don't know anything what's going on. Holy and so Jesus. all of a sudden they start giving ammunition and they give you three bullets. I said, hey, wait a minute. My name's not Barney Fife and get one bullet, you know. If I get out there, I want, want some ammunition. He says, oh, you'll see what's going on. So they gave us three bullets. And so early in the morning, it must have been about 10 o'clock. And I said, how come we're hitting so early? I want to get in there undercover so they can't shoot us or see us. Why don't we, you know? So we start landing and the, the doors open. Because they told us attention, and all of a sudden these big flags are in front of us, and they want us to march off these ships. There was about five of us LSTs that landed at the same time, and what we were doing, we were doing review for General Westmoreland because he was there and he wanted to see the new new uh, brigade that was going to be landing and helping out. Little dog so, and pony show. Yeah, so that's what it was. So we're out here marching like this. Hey, look at it. Hey, this is Vietnam. It's not too bad. <laughs> we got a parade going on, you know. And General Westmoreland's out there talking. I said, man, I'm sure I can handle this, you know. So uh, that's that's what well, that was the first day with three bullets and my new rifle. Your M16. My M16. Shiny, was, shiny boots. I was proud. Hey, well. I, right, 10 pounds lighter yeah, for being sick. Yeah, I think, I think just when the doors opened, I peed a little bit. <laughs> and that's, I can't believe they didn't tell you. They just, <laughs> just keeping you in a closet. No, they didn't. They didn't let you know anything. See, yeah. so, uh, so, All right, so yeah. after the parade, what, what's going on? Okay, they, they take you into uh, the regular uh, uh, camp where everybody's at. And uh, they've got barber shops and they've got theaters and uh they, they've got everything i says this vietnam's gonna be nothing man i'll be out of here in no time at all and uh for three days you know we ate good we had cold milk we had uh sheets on our beds we, well it was, i said i can handle this and one day we came back and it was big big trucks sitting out there oh shit. and they says okay um, all you guys have all your gear all ready to go and everything to start getting on these trucks. And so we got on these trucks and we started heading out on the Ho Chi Minh Trail outside of this regular big Air Force base camp. And we took off. In fact, that big uh, Air Force base was Chu Lai. It was called Chu Lai. I remember that. So we got on the Ho Chi Minh Trail and we went for hours and hours and it started getting close to the dark and they, we went up this big hill and they dumped us off on top of this big hill and they said, this is your new home hmm. and there, i said there's nothing here you know i have to say something you know uh just shut up 
this, this is this is your new home. It says you have to build it. Oh, so and there you go. I said, "We'll bring you, we'll bring you a bunch of uh, sandbags and stuff. You you can start building tomorrow." Oh, so there you are. So new, new, new home. Yep, and we're on top of it's called LZ Thunder. So yeah, forget uh, these. Um, that's this is amazing. This is incredible, and I, I want to strike with irons hot, and you got this this flowing through your head. Uh, uh, geographically, where you at in Vietnam? I'm sorry. Uh, okay, I'm, we're uh, about uh, we're close to the DMZ. We're probably uh, maybe 200 miles away from uh, the uh, north uh, Vietnam. Okay, I got you. All right. All right, all right, go ahead. So yeah, we're close. We're we're within the area. So we now we're getting shoot at, shot at. You know, and uh, you learn how to duck and protect yourself real fast and. Uh, now you've got your regular uh, headquarters getting set up. You've got your platoons. You've got your companies. Uh, we had uh, four companies, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, and Delta. And so everybody had a, um, operations that they had to do every so often. So you headed out of the, the base camp, and you go out for 18 days, and you do your patrols and do whatever you needed to do. So 18-day rotation. 18-day rotation. You come back in for three days. And then another company would head on out, or maybe two companies would head out and go different areas. You're just walking around looking for bad yeah, guys. Yeah, it was called during that time. I think it was uh, uh, search and destroy, but the government changed it to was uh, uh, seek and uh, uh, do something else. Or per, you know, just clean, clean, clean up, clean the up. Bad guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. But before it was search and destroy, and uh, the government back here in the United States didn't like destroy. We weren't supposed to destroy things. I got you. I got you. So. So, What's going on after that? What, what, take me to the next step. Okay, well, uh, we're getting to the point where we're getting pretty good over there. We're getting getting to know the area. We're knowing what to do. We lose a few people, and uh, you start getting new replacements coming in all the time. So now you're in the routine. Uh, what about you? Are you um, you, you kind of hear some stories, and and uh, maybe you don't want to befriend people because. The possibility you might you might lose a brother. In a oh, fight. you do that a lot because kind of uh, just turtle up. Remember, I told you about uh, a, a company or a platoon would head on out, and it was just like when they used to have uh, uh, in the Air Force in World War II when the bombers would head out, and maybe there was twenty five bombers go out. When they came back, they always counted the bombers when they came back in, and they said, "Well, how many didn't come back?" He said, "Well, three of them didn't come back." So you would do the same thing. Uh, you knew the companies, you knew the guys, uh, and you would sit out there and you knew how many were supposed to come back in. And said, "Well, you know, about five of them didn't come back." So you would do this all the time, just counting your head, just yeah, just, and just you know, I hate to say it, but you say, you know what, uh, I I like that and everything like that, but I'm going to make sure I'm going to come back. Yeah, and you never knew, you never knew. So It'd be your time, your patrol, your your, yeah. your day. But uh, as it went on, <clears throat> like I said, I was a radio operator and uh, it wasn't a real good job because uh, the, th the thing out there that says the first to go was going to be uh, uh, the commander and they would, try, they would try and pick him off first and then they wanted to make sure they got communication. So, so to go, Tony. Yeah. So, so, so I said, you know what? I don't like this job anymore. And, and, I'm not actually and, that yeah, smart. The, the first sergeant says, you know what? I don't give a shit what you think. Well, you know? So I did it for a while. And then all of a sudden he came to me one day and he says, you know what? Uh, hey, come here. I said, what? He said, you know, you always say you don't like that job. I said, yeah. He says, well, I got a new one for you. Oh, he says, uh, they're, they're missing some people over there and you have uh, 
qualifications with an M60 machine gun. I said, yeah, but what's it going to get me? He says, a door gunner seat in a helicopter. Oh, man. <laughs> so now I was transferred over. And usually a lot of people don't transfer over, but they were losing a lot of people out of this one unit. And so now I'm a door gunner. So I go from being a radio operator, carrying a radio on my back, which I was getting tired of walking anyway. Now I'm a door gunner. And so that ain't too great either. That's the photo we got of you. I yeah, that right. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's, that was my, my helicopter. A Huey? Well, yeah. Huey? Well, in fact, that was the second one because the first one went down. Oh, shit. You got, you got a story on that? As far as that? Yeah. Well, uh, we were picking up uh, rice. It was right after an engagement uh, one of the platoons had. And they have all this rice, and they have to make sure they bring it back, and they're going to go ahead and destroy it or do whatever they need to do with it. Well, they loaded it up on the, the chopper, and they had a couple of, uh, of uh, prisoners. So they were going to put the prisoners on there too. So it was too much weight for the helicopter because we had a ridge line of trees, and we weren't going to make it. So something had to go, and I'm not going to say what went. <laughs> hey. The, the rice, okay? I'll, I'll put it that way. The, so, ri- the rice fell out of the, but we still hit the trees. Ah, oh, shit. So we came down. And it was good enough that we're down low enough. Or, yeah. You know, uh, the the guys in the front, uh, the pilots, you know, they got banged all up and everything. So, yeah. What kind of gun were you operating? 60 machine gun. 60? Yeah. See, so, so I went from an M16 to a sh- uh, 60 machine gun. But a little story about that, and just go back to, uh, yeah. Uh, Radio operator. Being a quarterback, I was pretty good to, to throw in a football. So I, I had receivers. So you had to pinpoint certain areas. So they had this one little uh, rifle. It was called an M79. It was a grenade launcher. Oh. And all you could do is you put in a little round shell in there, and you could shoot it off like a football. And I was deadly with that baby. I could, I could, I could put them in their back pocket. <laughs> I was good with that sucker. You can know their line of path. Yeah, everything. Yeah, you could see them out there. But, you know, the kill radius was only about five meters, so you had to get a pretty good shot. And I was pretty good at that. Man, just it's it's incredible. I just. But you you know the thing that gets me, and I talk to you right now, and I think I talk, everybody I talk to, especially if I'm sitting in Vera VFW and having a few beers, and you you go back a lot with these guys because a lot of them have been, been over there, and you say, you know what? I, uh, all them people, you know, you, you kind of think because right now you've got nothing against them. You know, they're out there doing things. In fact, they're in helping out, uh, uh, in the wars that were going on right now. And they're, they're like friends and stuff. And uh, what about these people that, you know, we were over there and we just wiped them out. Crazy. So, so that's kind of hard. That, that, that gets on me every once in a while. So you're still reflecting now. Oh, too. I still do. You don't, you don't get rid of it. It's something you don't get or forget. Just comes up every yep. day. And you don't forget all your buddies, the ones that you did lose. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, let's, let's stay there real quick. Um, you finish. You, do you end your Vietnam tour on, on that, that the helicopter as a door gunner? Right. I finished there and I uh, mustered out and I came back to Fort Lewis, Washington. And they gave me my brand new uniform with all my stripes. I came out as a sergeant. Does, does your time just end in Vietnam? Is your, is your tour up? Or? If your if you're, uh, uh, amount of time in the service is over, and mine was over because when you were drafted, it was only for two years. Gotcha. See, if you, uh, if you were enlisted. Yeah, if you enlisted, it was three years. So when I, like I said, when I came back to Fort Lewis, I, 
had a beautiful uniform. I had all my medals on there and all that stuff. And you're back in the States and these people don't want you. How'd you feel about coming home? Were you excited? I was excited because I'm coming home now, but these people come, you know, see you in this uniform. Uh, So I had to go to Kmart, I think it was, because I think I was telling the story the other day and I was talking to a young girl. I said, I went to Target and she says, there was no Targets then. I says, she said it was Kmart. I said, okay, I went back to Kmart and I bought myself some Levi's and stuff. And I had to stuff my uh, uniform in a bag. So you're proud, Tony Vega coming home. Yep. Made it, survived, had some. And people don't like you. People don't like you. And people don't want nothing. You're a baby killer. You're a person killer. You shouldn't have been there. If it hadn't been for people like you and other people, you know, that war would have been over. Yeah. That's tough. So, yeah. It's heavy. So, and here I reflect back to my. My grandfather, my dad, and uncles, and that. Then when they came back, shoot, they were heroes. World War Two. Yeah, we weren't heroes. Yeah. Heroes now, and yeah. uh, it's it's like I said, this is uh, this is something I really wanted to capture, speaking to you and get it on get it on the, the podcast. It's mm-hmm. just that it was it is it was an interesting time, and it just uh, just to hear the story is just amazing, and I hope I hope it resonates with with a lot of people. And um, there is there is a, a a very much amount of respect we need to, to, to offer to our Vietnam veterans. So, and it's, it's good to hear you going down the VFW and, and hanging out and oh, sharing those yeah. stories. That's cool. You know, and it, it's, it's, and, but uh, you'd be surprised. You'll see a lot of old vets there. They won't say a word. Yeah. They, won't talk, they won't talk about it. Still hard, huh? Yeah. And, uh, we used to be able to talk about world war two, but all those vets are pretty much gone. Yeah. So now it's the Vietnam and uh, later on, it'll be Desert Storm, and but uh, we had heroes in all of those. Yeah, absolutely, American heroes. All right, Tony, uh, you're in your Levi's. You got your 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 bag with your uniform. Where, where are you going? Where are you headed? What's going on? Uh, my mom, my my dad, and my mom, and my wife, uh, my new kid, picked me up. You know, and here we're coming back from uh, up north, going back to. I really don't have a home, so I'm staying with uh, the family. But now when I get home, it's a couple of days later, and you say, you know what, it, it's time, time to get some, some work, do something. So I started looking for a job, and I do get a temporary one real fast. Yeah. I, was, uh, I was working for Sears. I was uh, selling lady shoes. <laughs> <laughs> from, so from a killer to selling lady shoes. So that's what I was doing, selling purses and shoes. <laughs> Oh man, that is awesome! Hey, hey, don't, don't tell us the one now. We got a podcast, but to all yeah. these guys out there, you know, they think I was a killer and all this stuff, and here I am with with bags and shoes. It was a Sears and Robux back then. Probably. Yeah, it was to Sears. I don't know. I think it was just up Sears, Sears. or anything. it was an upgraded because it was a big, nice new mall. Oh, I got so you. I was working in there, but uh, how, how long did you do that for? I did it about two weeks. The only <laughs> only reason I did it because I was in the ladies' department. That was that was fun. <laughs> We'll get out of that. Yeah, how that we're going to have to because then let me tell you. Uh, but uh, it wasn't more than, uh, I think, a couple of days later, I said, no, nah, I'm going to have to do something. So I was passing by uh, uh, their one of their officers, their eastern offices over here, and it was on Pepper and Foothill in San Bernardino. So I says, well, I'm going to go in there and put an application. Okay, uh, application utility. Pardon? To the utility. To, to, the, to utility. the utilities. Yeah. It was, and I went in there, and they said, uh, well, you have to uh, take some tests. I said, no, nah, I ain't taking no tests. You know? <laughs> I said, just give me a job. 
And then, well, you got to take some tests. Well, I took the test. I passed all of the tests. And they said, uh, well, what do you want to do? Because the other one would just, uh, if you could read and do math, simple math and stuff like that. I says, well, I'm sorry, lady, but I don't even know what you guys do. <laughs> a nice building. Yeah. So she says, well, we've got some pictures up on the wall of certain things. And I looked around there and I, I did look at the lineman guy. He was up on the pole. I said, no, that looks too damn dangerous to me. Here I just come from a helicopter and being a doggone uh, radio operator, and I didn't want to be a lineman. And so I seen a guy with a rope, and it said groundman underneath him. I said, oh, I'll be a groundman. I said, good, okay. So they assigned me to Fullerton to be a groundman, and uh, they put me on a crew. There was no training. or something. They just put you out there. And I had to ask one of the linemen there. I said, hey, uh, what's a groundman? <laughs> Holy shit. I really didn't. Yeah, that was it. That's how fast we got our job during that time. And, we, and I got a, a job as a groundman. So you're uh, on the job. You're just green. You don't even know what your job is. Yeah. You know what duty is, is. Your duties are. Yeah. And I you can't, are. you know, I can't really say it because I got in the truck. And uh, as far as class A license during that time, I, you know, we were just. They say they just told me, "Hey kid, get up there and drive the truck." And here I am driving this line truck, and I looked at it and I said, "I don't know how to drive this thing." <laughs> so they start. That's where they had to start. Start teaching me how to just drive a truck. You hear that grinding on this? Oh gears? God, it was hot. Hey, I was lucky. They say, "Hey, you're lucky here. This is an automatic." Oh good, that yeah, go. was an automatic Cadillac. Yeah, that was it. Was a nice truck. So so. All right. So uh, obviously. Things change for you. You you uh you get an apprentice bid, I imagine. Yeah, right. It was uh, the it was exactly one year, and uh, it, it was a story behind that too. Yeah, because I did the uh, I was with the crew for a long time, and they really liked the way I worked. And uh, when I was getting ready to leave to get my uh, apprenticeship and start, uh, I took the day off before because I you know I just wanted to kind of uh, sneak out a little bit. I you know, I don't know what it was. And those guys had bought me my climbing belt and my hooks and everything. Oh, wow. And they had it for me. See, so so I, I I liked that. You know, they called me up later on. I told them thanks a lot. And they said, Yeah, you made a real big impression on us that you were a good hard worker and you learned everything and you'll you'll make a good apprentice. I, I got a question for you real quick. Um and this is personal experience for me. Did you ever find a challenge playing sports and then going into the military of being a, a yes man? And then you get to the workforce and you, you could be a yes man to some extent, but you also have to be a question, a questioning man. Do you, uh, did you find that hard? Because I always wanted to, to please my, my superiors and, and never let them down. But at some point, as I got older, I realized, you know what, sometimes you have to question, you can respectfully question leadership mm -hmm. and, and really uh, challenge them in, in a respectful way. Did you ever, did you run into that problem? Um, First off, let's go back to Vietnam. No, because I was, you know, in a, in a position where, you know, I had a job that I had to do, and I just had to do it by the seat of my pants. Sure. Uh, when I sold uh, lady shoes, that didn't make any difference. But when, when I got with Tility, yeah. uh, I was now in a position where I knew nothing. Sure. So I couldn't really say too much. I wanted to find out and learn, and all this time was going to be learning. I knew that right away as being a groundman, learning. When I was going to be an apprentice, it was going to be learning. Even when I became a lineman, the first part of it was all learning. Uh, even when I became a foreman, it was still all learning. 
See, so I had no problem. I, uh, I just wanted to make sure that I did a good job. So I got into the books and I made sure that I knew the rules and the regulations. And the thing that was up most was that I didn't get somebody hurt. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about the culture right there as far as when you take that bid for the apprenticeship. What, what, what's, what's the culture like? Is the brotherhood strong? Are you, are you, it sounds like they bought your belt. So they really, um, they really saw some talent in you, but is, was it, were you still, was it a fend for yourself, um, uh, culture or were you, were you really, was it, how, how, what was it like? Well, the thing that helped out is, uh, when you went over, um, working in a certain area that you, you kind of looked for people that were pretty much in the same position. And so, uh, I kind of made a friendship with another uh, apprentice and he was a uh, one step above me while I was first and we kind of talked and he says you know this is what you got to do and it's just like everything else you have a couple of beers with here and maybe the groundmen that are there at that location that the job that you just did have a few beers and all of a sudden it comes out it says you know what this former right here this is the way he likes this done or this former right here man if you get on his crew you just you just do everything he says and so after a while, you start learning the people and who's going to be good for you and who's uh, going to be a little tough on you. So you kind of you walk on uh, eggshells for a while until you kind of figure out, hey, this is what I'm into, so I've got to learn it and I've got to make sure that I do it right. How big was safety? Safety was big with the company. Let's uh, let's go with, with a time frame. What, what time? What year well, is this? Okay, How now old are you now quick? we're now we're getting into. In fact, my I can give you my my uh, starting date was nine two sixty nine. Wow, there you go. See, so it was a long time ago. So you were older, right? How old was I at that pay? I age. think I was just going to turn twenty one. I'm still twenty. All right, about twenty one, twenty one, twenty twenty one. Right, right, right into apprenticeship. Right uh, and I can remember the first day because uh, my first day they had a big fatality. And they had, in fact, this is how long ago it was on the Queen Mary. And they were building all the underground system, and they had a big blow-up, and they had a couple of fatalities. So it was about uh, two weeks later, they were introducing uh, proper grounding, how to uh, use the ground. Introducing. Right. Uh-huh. And this was new. Well, we still had grounding, but we had a little funky chain, which really didn't do anything. I heard about that. Uh, yeah. They, they, in fact, it, we had to roll it up in a little uh, paint can, and that's what they used for grounds. Uh, but now they had these big grounds that they were going to put on and they were going to have to put them on with sticks and they were going to have to clean the wire and do that. What was the, uh, oh, the if, rumblings? A lot of, oh, a lot of the older guys. I said, well, that, hey, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take us longer just to put these on than it is to do the job. See? Heavy. Yeah, they were heavy. Copper? It's all, uh, it was all, all copper with duckbill clamps and stuff. Uh, but they said they, and they tried to make it last half a day just to put them on. But later on, they, they started to understand that uh, uh, through the years and through everything that was going on until right now, things uh, evolve and you get better stuff and better equipment. And you find out that not everything, but most of the stuff that comes out is for your safety. Sure, absolutely. Say so. Um, how'd your apprenticeship go? My apprenticeship, re- really good. It's uh, right now, their apprenticeship, what's that? Uh, did you catch on it? Were you as an apprentice? Did you catch on really quick? Did you, did you get a hang of things, climbing everything? Yeah, all everything came came pretty natural with me. I was I was good at it. I liked it. It's a little bit more difficult than than the apprentices have now because the apprentices have an actual JTC yeah. that they go to, 
and they have to get into the books and they have to learn all kinds of formulas and stuff. Uh, when I was an apprentice, the, the foreman that you worked for, he'd look at you and say, you know what? You've been pretty damn good. Uh, tomorrow you're a second step. Whoa. There was no, no test, no nothing, man. So that's all. That was my apprenticeship. I just went through it. Hey, you're going to third step now. You're, you're, you're ready to go. Did they so. still respect the uh, third or fourth step where you were going hot? Was there equipment? Uh, oh, cold oh, yeah. and, hot stuff? They, and they taught you pretty good, you know? So, uh, that was one thing that, uh, the utility, uh, when you were going to get to a certain part, they would send you to a school. So you would go into a theory school and you would learn about transformer, transformer banks and theory and, and stuff like that. And you're pretty smart. So you kind of understood yeah, that. So. so we did that. And then they'd send you to hot stick school because hot sticks was the main thing. And that was most of, uh, the state and everybody else, they use hot sticks now. These are, these now are still wood sticks, correct, at the time? No. We're, no. we're in a fiber. I'm not that old. All now. right, all right. <laughs> I got you. I'm just trying, but, to, trying but, to. It's, but it's all fiberglass, and it's good, you know. And uh, the, the rubber gloving program didn't come on till later on. In fact, uh, when I was with the utility, uh, and I hate to say this, but uh, I, I kind of balked at the rubber gloving program myself because it was just being introduced and I was sent to go to the school. I was one of the first ones. In fact, um, may his soul rest in peace. Uh, there was a fellow foreman with me, a guy by the name of Bill Owens, and uh, they sent us over there. And we was it was going to be two weeks before we were going to retire because they gave us the golden handshake. So we didn't feel like we really needed to be there. But everybody else already knew that. Uh, all the utilities were going to start using rubber gloving. Why, well, why were you so against it? Was you, you felt that confidence in your stick? Were you not open to learning something new? Was it was the ego? Were you just did you just think that uh, sticking was was the way to go? No, I didn't think you just hit it right on the nose. I was being a pain in the ass. Yeah. Okay. But uh, later on, as I saw what was going on, well, let me back up just a little bit. Yeah. I have another friend. I don't know if you have to to say this later on, but his name is Frank Hernandez and we worked for the utility together. Uh-huh. And then we went out to go work for oh, another outside construction group. When we got on the, on the pole, uh, we had never worked rubber gloves before because we weren't taught that. Wow. So I looked over across the pole at him and I says, you know what? Uh, you tested your rubber gloves and I tested mine uh, go ahead and get on it. If you live, then I'll get on it. But we didn't even know that because there was no training. We didn't even know we were supposed to wear sleeves. Holy smokes. See, so we did that. Amazing. So, but, hey, but, uh, we, 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 we learn and we grow. Yeah, we, we made it. And now these guys every day, they, they do, they do rubber gloving. Like it's, you know, but the thing is they've lost the art of hot sticking. Yeah. There's not a lot of hot sticking. Yeah. And I think the, we won't get in too much, but I think the 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 material is is gone away. It's more for and, and I'll talk. I'll speak specifically for our area. It's uh-huh. more. It'd be hard. It'd be hard to. Uh, it'd be a challenge. How about that? Right. To uh-huh. to stick a little bit. Right. Um, it, and it is because uh, it's gotten to the point where the utility groups they they want and you know they they want production. Uh, they they're they're into a lot of production. They're in they the safety is still there. And, you know, if you get safety, you're going to get production. But everything is being de-energized, and they, they work it that way, and they get a lot of work done. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, all right, you, you, you progressed into – we'll kind of go back a little bit to um, – um, 
I want to talk about you being a, a, level, a, a leader at the workforce, uh, in the workforce. So what kind of foreman were you? How, how'd you lead? What was your... I was I I I'm not going to say I was a terrible foreman. I was I was I was a fairly good foreman because I was I was good to the people that worked for um, the people that weren't going to give me the job or they were not safe or didn't know what they were doing. I uh, usually didn't take them on my crew, and it was pretty well known around there that hey, you know what? I don't want this person or this person. But lots of times they they might do a better job with another foreman. Say. And it worked out that way with a bunch of them. They said, you know what, we don't want to work with Tony because, you know, he's this and that. And so they work better with another one. So that happens to a lot of linemen. There's a lot of good linemen that can't work for a certain foreman but can work for somebody else. And that's fun. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. You have to find your niche somewhere. You have to figure out just exactly, you know, where am I the best fit? And that's what happened. But uh, when I had my crews, if I worked overtime or I was going to go out of town and work, I had certain guys that would say, you know what, if Tony's going to take the crew out of town or he's working emergency, I'll work for him. Mm-hmm. So I kind of kind of liked that, that I had certain people that said, you know what, we'll be there. You had a good relationship. Right. Really strong, did. Strong. I, I treated him good. We did. And, of course, you know, being a lineman, we all hit the bars later on because we did a lot of drinking, linemen and foremen or whatever. And I can't leave out the groundmen and some of the support people because during that time there was a lot of drinking, but it was off the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you always find yourself looking for that next step, like progressing in the com- in, in a company? Uh, do you were you, were you was ambitious, or was it just kind of the way your nature was? No, I did that. I uh, started saying, you know what, I'm, maybe I had to start going into the office now. Uh, it looks like you know. They're comfortable in there. They don't have to work in the rain or the wind or the snow. And and it's kind of neat. You know, you're nice and clean. You wear a nice clean shirt. So I went into the office for a while. And first thing you notice is your pay is cut in half. <laughs> no offense to anybody out there, but uh, uh, the linemen make a lot of money. And uh, if you're out in the field, you're going to make the money, but you're going to put the time in, you're going to put the work in. Uh, It's your decision if you want to go into the office and uh, you have an easier job. So that's the pay scale that you get. So when I went in there, I said, you know, uh, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. And there's stuff I really didn't want to get into after a while. So I said, uh, I want to go ahead and go back out in the field. Oh, so you took, you went, went, went I went back, I went back out in the field. How was that? It was perfect, it's, you know, because now I was getting towards the end of my uh, career. It gives you a little perspective, too. Yeah. You kind of learn from the office, and you uh-huh. can take that, right. that perspective. And, uh-huh. and it it was kind of strange during that time because now the companies were trying to get to a position where they were going to downsize. They wanted to get rid of people. And that, that kind of made a little bit of their demise for some of the utilities, but it was the greatest thing that ever happened for uh, outside construction. Yeah. And that's okay. So we, we'll fast forward to that. So that's at your end of your, 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 you're getting into retirement right. time and then you make a shift to safety, correct? Okay. Or, this is what happened uh, when, when, like I said, uh, uh, they were gave me the, the golden handshake and mm-hmm. now I'm leads, leaving the utility, but I'm 48 years old and I'm really out still fairly young. And it just so happened one of the other utilities out there, the outside construction utility says, you know what, you have all this experience, you have a good relationship with uh, the utility that we're going to be working fit for, mm-hmm. we want you to come work for me. So sure enough, I went over there, 
Uh, I started working as a as a lineman when I was talking to Frank, and you know, if you don't die, uh, we'll be fine. Uh, later on, it was about not more than two weeks later, I was a foreman, and then I was a general foreman because I knew the information, and so I went right up the ladder uh, fairly good. So for a while, I was outside construction for the u- outside uh, utilities, uh, but then something happened that was kind of catastrophic and uh they uh they were having a lot of problems with safety well i was offered a job but i was also offered a job at cal nevada jatc which is california uh joint apprentice committee and it was with a person that uh, was a real good friend and i worked with a long time and he says i want you to come and help and you can be i want you to be my lead instructor so I worked in uh, the, the apprenticeship for about six years. How'd you, how do you do that? How do you, uh, you take a role of Tony Vega teaching the field, mentoring the field, and you go into a classroom. Well, how did you adjust? It was gratifying. It really was. You get in there, and now you're going to teach people a craft that you're really proud of. And you get to the point where you want to show them uh, what it's offering them if they work hard at it and do it. And I have to say there's a lot of the people that are working right now for our company and a lot of the other companies, even some of the supervisors. Uh, in fact, I can, I can say exactly the my supervisor right now was in my class. That's awesome. See, so, and I'd had about all the linemen that are foremen, I, even where I work right now, uh, about 35% of them were my, were my students. Yeah, Sturgeon Lecture, California, man, it's, it's – uh... As a you you being the having it, you know, fifty four plus year career, you've you've there's a lot of guys that you've had a long relationship with here right. at this company, and and we do value that experience and that knowledge, and and that's why it's great to have you around. Uh, you're just you're just kind of a, a bright light, and 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 you keep you keep us grounded in those fundamental values that that you've learned throughout your career, and you share that with us. Um, let, let let's go. Uh, Let's go back to safety real quick. Let's go into safety. And when I went through apprenticeship, the apprenticeship, you were an instructor. You weren't, uh, you were kind of like uh, the weekly instructor. And you always had this thing where you'd say, make, make way for the bad guy. Bad yeah. guy coming through. <laughs> right. Your little Scarface thing. Uh-huh. And I think as a safety guy, you kind of get a, a, a label of being a bad guy. But that changes. You're a coach and your mentor. Tony Vega's not rolling around with uh, term slips in his back pocket. You're there to, to coach, help mitigate a situation, help uh, resolve a situation. How, how, how'd you do that? How'd that, how'd that go? Well, that it, it, it was good because um, I had good instructors when, when I was growing up through the trade. I had good foremen also. But yet I knew there was other ones that you know, weren't, weren't quite up to grade. And I made a little note to myself saying, you know, if I get to a point where I get to uh, instruct people or teach people, uh, I'm not going to bullshit them in any way. I'm going to make sure that uh, uh, what I show them or teach them is a safe way and the proper way to do it. Uh, There's a lot of shortcuts out there. There's a lot of people that uh, show some of our apprentices and stuff that, hey, do it this way. You don't have to do it that other way. But if they got in trouble, then uh, they knew right away that they had, 
violated a safety violation or used a wrong tool. So I always made sure that when I was the bad guy, if they were doing something wrong, I let them know. But I did it in a way that, uh, you know, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you. I'm not just going to ball you out and, and yell at you. If I'm going to do that, I'm going to make sure that I show you how it's supposed to be done. Absolutely. And that's about the thing we have to just continue to to pass on and transcend through the, the generations. I got an example for you. Hopefully, okay. I, I gotta make it. I gotta make it come out right. You and I, Tony, Tony Vega, and myself, we're going to the OSHA OSHA twenty class. We come out of that you, OSHA twenty. It, it covers everything, top to bottom. Really good class, right? And then you get into another position. You got to take the OSHA thirty. Anyways, more point of the story would be this. You and I are in a crew, on the same crew. We went to this class. We come back to our crew. We're motivated. We're motivated to do the right things that we learned. You and I are on the same page. Soon enough, that motivation wears off. Maybe we go back to some shortcuts. So here's my question to you. What if we are disciplined in safety? What if once we learn that standard, that's our discipline? There's no other way. Motivation comes and it goes. Right. Our work career is, your work career is 54 years. There has to be, a, a, you have all your fingers, you have early toes, you're a good looking man. You've had discipline in your life to allow you to get to this, this, this point. Speaking in, in working conditions. I think if we, we have that, that culture of discipline saying this is the standard and this is how we're going to do it. We're all going to go home. Motivation is going to come and go. We're going to have bad days, but if we stick with that level of discipline, we're all we're all going to we're just we're going to come out better. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, we'll get to uh, there's ups and downs. Okay, Every, everything's not going to go great. Yeah, and uh, you get to a position where you, know, you get tired of rules and regulations, and you listen to uh, the higher up, and they says, "Well, something went wrong here, so we're going to put in another." Another rule, and everybody says, oh, another rule, what's it going to do? But it does. It helps out. Uh, I have to look back in my career, and I've lost five real good buddies for that same thing, that they, they lapsed on a few safety rules, yeah. and it cost them their lives. Yeah. So when I start getting to a certain point where I want to cut a corner or do this, I kind of remember those guys. I said, you know what, that was... I, I can still see his laugh up there. He was funny. Uh, he was a great guy. And he contacted a, a fuse holder that was energized. And he had done two things. He got on top of the bucket, stand on the top of the bucket. Also, he had unsnapped his uh, safety, fell out. So he had a contact plus falling down. Mm. And there's other things. I had a buddy, and he was killed. And so I think about that. And you uh, look at the young, young uh, uh, linemen or the young apprentices, and when they do something wrong, or they're doing something that's unsafe, that's when you got to make sure that you uh, correct it and let them know why, why you're correcting it, and that you don't want to see something happen to them. That why is good, right? That why is the understanding. It's a commitment. It's, it's you messed up, but here's the why. Yeah. Here's what could happen. Right. And it, it's an ugly thing. And so I've had that, you call it the why, I've had it all the way through Vietnam, 
because you always talk to your buddies. I say, you know, you got to be ready and sharp all the time and do what you're supposed to because you can die. And uh, being a lineman sometimes out there, that uh, enemy, it's it's there every day. Enemies can be you. Just yeah. Laps. Right. Not committed. Not disciplined in safety. Right. Willing to take a shortcut. I don't know. I just... I kind of, I'm kind of almost taking that word motivation out of my vocabulary because mm-hmm. I, I found in life and in work that discipline could almost outlast anything if you're disciplined in, and something I need to work on is, is your relationships with your friends, your coworkers. It's all, it all could be salvaged a little more better with with discipline. Right. Um. All right. Kind of, kind of your role now, Tony. Um. Question I had for you was alignment. You're kind of in this this a safety. You're kind of in this uh, this catch. Mm-hmm. You got management above you, and you got the field below. You have a relationship with both. When you need to present something, how does that? How do you work with that alignment? How do you get both management and the field to see your vision? Well, first off, whenever you give any point, you have to make sure that you believe it in yourself. And when you talk about something, you have to make sure that you know all the ins and out and, you know, what you're talking about. You can't just know half of it. Uh, for, for example, uh, when we talk about the grounding scheme, you know, um, management might see it one way, the linemen see it in another way, and even our customer sees it another way. Yeah. So when you present it, you have to incorporate it just about everybody into this and everybody has to come on board and say, yeah, you're right on that. Uh, this right here, we might not do it this way, but that's okay. But, uh, that's the way you teach it and make sure when you finish with the topic or the subject that everybody's on board and understand this is what the final product's going to be. And it's great to talk to you. And, uh, Fred Barker brings it up a lot is, uh, is the, the trend, the the safety's rules have been implemented over the years and then for the for those to come the the rumblings uh fred always talks about uh he remembers when no hard hats were there right and then you you move fast forward you get 100 percent fall protection and then you get uh everything else the the full body harness versus the the, the lap uh i believe it's like the strap harness mm-hmm. uh it was always kind of like uh outcasted to begin with, and then we just kind of it kind of becomes part of the culture mm-hmm. that, that standard. So yeah. uh, it, it's great to hear that perspective. Yeah. I love hearing uh, Fred's and your stories about just times when new rules, new safety measures were implemented. It, it's a great and a lot of the rules that I, as far as as I look, one of the big rule that came out that I just loved, and the apprentices and the linemen they just well I should say more the linemen hated it when they had to start using the buck squeeze. But uh, when I was at uh, the school, the apprentice school, uh, I used to watch some guys fall every day. <laughs> and it was, it was something that I went through. I said, man, I just hope this guy doesn't gaff himself or break a leg. Or, because that, sometimes that's life-changing. And with the advent of the buck squeeze, they can fall, but they're going to be caught on that pole, and they're not going to f- fall all the way to the ground. And so... With a lot of the rules and a lot of the safety equipment that we have now, it's great. Uh, when I was uh, in a bucket truck, and this is like a service bucket truck, all we had was a, a 
band that went around the middle of our waist yeah. that looked like a doggone just regular uh, belt. And we didn't have a breakaway lanyard. All we had was a piece of rope with two snaps on it. So, oh. so when you fell out, you, you took that uh, shock uh, to your back or oh. busted your back or whatever. So wasn't the greatest stuff. So everything that's coming out, somebody has gotten hurt or something has happened. And so they make it better. Yeah. And that's, that's how, unfortunately we, we move forward as industry, just, uh, in our red book too. It's, uh, everything's kind of been written in blood as they say. Mm-hmm. So, right. Um, in your role, Tony, um, safety engineer, right. The man, the man, the myth, top, the top, the dog, <laughs> uh, your role as a safety engineer and just in safety in general, it's a position, a division, if you will, with whatever your company title, uh, your company wants to call it. You have to be proactive. You're going to have to identify a problem mm-hmm. before you can, you could see a trend and, and you visit crews daily and you visit multiple crews and you can see, you could see a trend that may be an issue later. You can't be a reactive safety professional. Right. If you're reactive, something already happened and you've defeated the purpose of, of, of being a safety professional. How do you hold that responsibility? Well, whenever you do that, you have to, you have to be on it constantly because there are certain things that for some reason it's the same problem over and over and over again. So you have to make sure that uh, when you present it, you say, I've told you guys before that we have to do this. And little by little, it starts working in and uh, it helps out if you follow up, you tell them but you have to follow up all the time. You have to make sure because um, I hate to say it, but uh, linemen, they'll try and get away with a few things. So being a lineman for so many years, I can see right in an instant, you know, what's being done or what's not being done or what they're trying to hide or this. You can't do it. I've, I've got too much uh, time in the trade. Yeah, and that's that's the value of having you, having a guy like you around is just, that experience, that, that, that knowledge. Uh, what, what are you looking for when you go to crew, you visit crew now? What, what's, what, are your, what are some of your outliers? What are your, what are your red flags? What are, your, what are your good things you like to see? Well, the thing that you watch out for is uh, um, if you have flat areas and stuff like that or they're stringing wire and, and pretty, you know, and a common type area, it's not too bad. Once we start getting into areas up in the mountains or we have little – trenches or if it's a um something that happened with the weather has changed on it that's what you got to really watch out because uh if it's you know rainy or windy you have a lot of uh, different problems that come up and then you really have to kind of watch them and and let them know that hey it's not just a regular day yeah absolutely and then uh heighten your awareness big time situational awareness is big time on on those days mm-hmm. uh I, I got a quote for you tony okay. i heard this quote it kind of stuck with me. I wanted to get your input. Okay. And this could be uh, safety and training. Uh, this quote, this quote will kind of cover. Here we go. If you don't practice what you preach, you should not be able to teach. I think as a lineman, once you get that ticket, you're a teacher. Mm-hmm. You're a teacher of fundamentals. You're a teacher of the trade. You're a teacher of leadership. What do you think of that quote, Tony? It's true because um, you have to do it. Uh, and this morning I, I go out to visit the crews in my, my golf cart. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, that's one of my duties in the morning. In the yard. I, I, in the yard. I drive around in this golf cart, make sure that everybody's uh, doing something. And what makes me feel good, really good, is when I'm driving around, I have my hard hat on, I've got my visibility uh, P, PPE and everything, but all of a sudden somebody says, uh, where's your glasses? And so this is sunk into that person. He said, you know what? If you're going to tell us every day about glasses and hard hats and all that, you need to do it too. And that's when you know that uh, you've done it. And I said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this a, a little bit farther up. So I drive up and sure enough, somebody else said, hey, where's your glasses? Where's your gloves? See, so you know that it's sunk into. So if you tell them, they expect it from you. And so that's why that uh, quote is right on. That's, and that's good. And that's that, that falls into that peer, uh, peer check, or mm-hmm. as uh, Roger Edinger likes to call it, peer pressure. Yeah, uh, that's it. And, but that's that ability to call out um, mm-hmm. and, and, and respectfully, too. And, right. and, and you have a good relationship with everyone. And I'm sure it's pretty funny to, to have them call you out when you're in your Oh, yeah. Party. And it's good all the time because yeah. you can be walking around and then they're going to look at you and they say, you need to do it, too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's right. Uh, Tony. From a local perspective, and I can only speak for us, but if anyone's listening from across the country, you can, you can kind of transcend it to, to, to their area. Um, the training is the same. Like I said, please, please be a hypothetical here for me. The training's the same, and the resources are the same. And looking at the big picture. Right. How do you continue to develop as an individual and as a company? How would a company continue to develop their their workforce or as an individual well i learned something a long time ago uh when i was working for the utility i was uh their brat okay i was taught by them and uh it's kind of like a brainwashing way and i thought that was the only way you could do something if it wasn't our way nobody else knew how to do it when i got into training and I was training apprentices, and I'd have, have them come in from all over the United States. I found out that there was other ways that were just as good as what I had learned how to do. So now I knew I had a lot of work to do. I had to get into some of this stuff. So when I started going out to the Kansas City ro- uh, Rodeo or going different places, I learned about different tools. I learned about different methods. I learned about different, different styles of and, and it, it all started fitting together. I said, you know what? We're in a trade which is the same, but yet it's different. Everybody always says, hey, uh, uh, electricity and climbing and all that stuff is basic. That's a basic, but yet you better understand it. Yeah. And uh, don't get to that point where you think, hey, uh, California linemen are better than Texas linemen. Or Texas linemen are better than Florida linemen. Everybody has their own niche. Everybody does it. Usually ends up with the same result, but they might get there in a different way. Sure. And we have great linemen. And this doesn't just mean in the United States. We've got Australia. We've got Mexico. We've got uh, uh, even the Jamaican. We watch the Jamaican linemen. Uh, A lineman is a lineman. If he's a good lineman, he's worth a lot. Absolutely. We've got to learn from each other too. Right. All right, Tony, we're going to go to uh, a book. Uh, I committed to Raul to let him know that uh, if I did a podcast, I, I, uh, he's passionate about um, 
uh, leadership principles, more importantly, uh, Jocko leadership principles. Um, the ones I'm going to refer to are from the Extreme Ownership book uh, by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Uh, I want to thank uh, Local 47, uh, IBW Local 47, Colin Lavin, and the entire staff and the 47 team for putting on an amazing uh, steward and safety conference. It was a great time. Jocko was there. Uh, Dave Burke, uh, Jamie Cochran, great, powerful speakers. Um, so to hear that and to have uh, Local 47 put that on was amazing. Um, all right. So what I, what I did, Tony, is I picked a leadership principle out, principle out of the book. You've already mentioned it, which is great. And this is why this, this book transcends into our, our, our culture uh, being construction. Um, extreme ownership book, once again, the principle is belief. Belief. You mentioned it too, of, of talking to guys and having them believe. Uh, let me read the principle from the book. Page uh, 76, if you're following along. In order to convince and inspire others to follow and accomplish a mission, a leader must be a true believer in the mission. Even when others doubt and question the amount of risk, asking, is it worth it? The leader must believe in the greater cause. If a leader does not believe, he or she will not take the risk required to overcome the inevitable challenges necessary to win. And they will not be able to convince others, especially the frontline troops who must execute the mission to do so. Do, to, to do so. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Leaders must always operate with the understanding that they are, are part of something greater than themselves and their own personal interests. Tony Vega, when you speak to the workforce, when you speak to management, you have to believe in what you're speaking. You've mentioned that. Mm -hmm. How... Do you get everyone to believe? Well, first off, I heard this quote a long time ago, and uh, I was in a seminar, and uh, it was kind of like a little skit. And management or the leader or whatever we want to call it gave out some instructions. It says, this is what we want to do, and this is what we're going to do from now on, and this is going to be followed. And... The second party was listening, and he was going to have to carry the information on. And so he heard it, knew what they wanted, understood it. But between the information given to him and him passing it on, and I'm going to give it to you the way he said it to them. He says, you know what? This was given to me, and I don't like the idea, and I don't really believe in it. So right off... That's where that comes in. If you don't believe in something and you're not going to pass it on the right way, don't pass it on at all. Get to the point where you ask questions, you understand why this is being brought out, and find everything about it and try. I shouldn't say try. You need to get to the point where this is what's wanted. It's for the best of the good, and this is the way you need to present it. So I learned that a long time ago. When I present something, I get to the point where I actually want to know what's going on and then believe it. And then if I feel that it's really right, and I, I usually do, then I can pass it on. And uh, it gets to the point you're going to get questions, but again, it's passed on to somebody else, and they're going to have to much, uh, pretty much go through the same process and figure it out. Well, you know, why do they want it like this? What does it do for me? Is it good? And so that's why I, when I list out about as far as Jocko, 
when he talks on that. That's what has to be done. So it's information is passed down, but yet it's passed down with a purpose. Passed down with a purpose. Man, that's that's awesome. And just and like you said, you pass it down to to one person. If you get that core group of guys believing in that message and just just be safe, disciplined in safety, commit to safety, however you want to word it, it's going to continue to pass down. Right. Absolutely awesome. All right, Tony, we're going to switch uh, switch things up. Uh, I reached out on Instagram uh, through California Lineworks. If you're not following us, check us out. Uh, I, I gave everyone the opportunity to ask Tony a question. Uh, you're quite the popular man. We got a lot of questions. I had to shift through them. Uh, some were a little, uh, we had to skip them. <laughs> you, got some, you, got some, you got some good friends out there. Let's just say that. Uh, other ones are, are really good. We're, we'll go through those right now. Okay. Uh, from Ford Fitness, ask Tony Vega. Outside of safety, what's one things? Excuse me. What's one thing crews do today that you admire? They have camaraderie. Okay. One thing, uh, it was just like me. Uh, you pretty much analyze the group that you have. Uh, everybody doesn't get along with everybody, uh, but you want to make sure whenever you get a core group that you don't have to take care of them all the time. They're going to take care of each other. They're going to take care of you. They're going to take care of everybody in that group. Once you get to that point, you know that you're going to get a lot of safety out there. You're going to get a lot of communication, and you're going to have a lot of friendship, which really works out on the crew. Uh, I always said before, um, productivity and safety is really great, but you know what? I like to have a good laugh once in a while, and I like to have fun with the crew. Absolutely. Those are, those are good it's a good recipe for a safe, productive day, and everyone's going to be happy to come to come uh, come to work the next day. Uh, great, great answer, Tony. Gosh, man, this is a great podcast. Uh, all right, next question from Vince Burton. He's a uh, foreman here, Sturgeon Electric, California. Why does your ticket number change every Thursday? <laughs> uh, a little pretext for anyone not involved. Uh, every Thursday, we hold our safety meeting at the yard. Uh, Tony, well. It has to do with uh, the white hair that's on the top of my head. Uh, I am 75 years old, so every once in a while I get numbers uh, transposed or I can't. Sometimes I even forget the D, but I get close, okay? But I just don't want to let, let a lot of the guys know that uh, uh, I respect the union. I was, I'm still in the union as a card a carrying ticket. I'm in management, so I uh, don't get some of the the stuff that uh, is offered as union, but I've believed in the union from the first day when I started in, in September 2nd, uh, 1969. Absolutely. So, uh, like I said, uh, I really believe in the union. I've worked with the union. I've had a possibility to be with the union on board, but, uh, I like working out here with the crews. Cool. Awesome. Um, and for those of you guys who don't know, I know a lot of pre-apprentices listen to this, uh, the show and people want to get into the trade. Uh, if you, you go the union route when you you're speaking a group setting. You address yourself. Uh, let me let me rephrase this. You uh, you loudly and so everyone can hear you address yourself and your ticket number and uh, that's what we're, what we are referring to. All right, um, yeah, it's it's pretty hilarious when uh, when you uh, when you uh, step up and uh, you give your ticket number. Yeah. To get there. Uh, Marky McFly nine oh nine traffic tech here, uh, traffic foreman at Sturgeon Electric California. Mark Rojas asks. With everything you have learned in life and gone through, 
What is the best advice you can pass on, Tony Vega? The thing that I learned before is don't, how, how should I put this? I, I want to say don't be a phony to everybody else. Don't uh, say one thing and then talk about the person differently. If you have a problem with somebody or somebody on the crew or anybody else, that's the pro- person that you have the problem with. Get rid of all of that, and then later on, you can probably work better together if you understand each other. But that's what I've done before. There's been supervisors that I really just didn't care for. I didn't like what was going on. But yet, there was a supervisor, and I respect them, but I let them know exactly, hey, I really don't like this. I don't care for that and stuff like that. But uh, uh, you'll get along lots better at work. And in life, I imagine. Yeah, right. You just you have to let the people know that uh, I don't really care working for you or working with you, and I just want you to know it. And they know. And so don't ever be phony or don't lie to your crew. Don't don't say, oh, yeah, I know about that. They want this or they said that. And none of that stuff was ever said. A little transparent. Right. Uh, great answer. Great question, Mark. Thank you, man. Uh, John underscore Chacon 10. What's the biggest different differences in line work now uh, from then when you started, Tony Vega? Now we have beautiful equipment, and most of the time it works. It'll start up. Um, we can do just about anything we need to do. If we don't, we get the equipment that's made for it. Uh, the only thing I see is that uh, we need to take a little bit better care of it, uh, and it'll take care of you. When I was a young lineman, uh, there was no such thing as really pulling the buckets out. We had buckets, but those old crotchety old foremen that we had, they says, no, that's why they give you hooks. Uh, let's get up the pole. And so we climbed in the morning, did all the work from uh, early in the morning until lunch, come down. You had the cards ready to play cards. We played cards for about a half an hour. What did you guys play? And we played hearts. We love to play hearts or pinochle. We played a lot of pinochle. And he says, okay, I back up the pole. We'd go up to the pole to the end of the day and then come on down. But there wasn't that much work done. Uh, the nowadays, we get up there and you see them buckets are flying all over the place. They're doing a lot of work. They're following the rules like they're supposed to. Uh, it, it, it's, it's like a symphony. Yeah. They're out there. And when I go out there and drive and see the crews and see five crews working on a line. It's just, it's just amazing to watch all those trucks working Yeah, that scale and that scope yeah, of the work. It is. And it's getting done perfectly good. Nice. Uh, next question from Raider Jerry six, two, six. Do you still have a custom Rams Jersey and does it fit? <laughs> to tell you the truth, I lost, I lost a lot of weight when I was a lineman. I used to love to hit my beer pretty good, you know, and that beer puts a lot of weight on you. I have a custom Ram jersey, yes, and I am uh, uh, want to give props to them for winning the, the Super Bowl. I was a little bit worried there for a little bit, but, uh, yeah, and it's uh, number 11. There you go, your favorite number. My favorite number. And that was a good game. I'm not a Rams fan. Uh, I, I was rooting for them, though. It, it was a good game, yeah. and uh, Matt Stafford played, uh, played pretty good. Uh, all right. Uh, Lyman Mama, Dell. She wanted to say we love you, Tony. Well, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Dell. Dell's always great. Uh, last question here. 
from a Mr. Spike1721. He says, uh, proud to have you as a grandpa. Thank you for all you have done. That's nice. Well, thank you very much. Uh, no. So I imagine Spike would be your grandson. He's in the trade. And what'd you tell him? What'd you, what, what, what's, what's the advice you gave him? Don't tell anybody you know me. <laughs> well, Spike, way to go. Uh, Tony, that's all the questions I have from the gram. I have one question for you. Uh, this is a personal question. And I asked, um, when we prepared for this podcast, when I introduced it to Raul, uh, we went through, we went through a few mock podcasts, let Raul get, get a feel for it. Right. One of the questions I asked him is what I'm going to ask you right now. Tony Vega, tomorrow will be your last day to interact and engage with the crews. That's it. After that, you're going to go on your way. You can never contact us. You can never come hang out. With that being said, what's your last message that morning? Um, they already know that I'd say be safe. They would know that, hey, I love every one of them. But what I would say is be true to your trade. Absolutely. Well said. Tony Vega, we did an hour and a half podcast. You did great. Well, thank you. I can talk forever. You can. You did yeah. good. <laughs> uh, you shared everything from your childhood, which is great. Appreciate it. And the Vietnam stories, it's just amazing. It's, it's near and dear to my heart. And I know I know a lot of people respect that that part of you and uh, any Vietnam veteran. And then just your, your 54 years, it's just an incredible career uh, in this trade. Give to this trade. You've given time. You've, you've sacrificed so much. It's just, it's a, it's really, we're really grateful. And I think gratitude is what we have to be as an industry as, as a trade, as a local, and as a company to have Tony Vega here and his, and his experience and, and just his message here too. Uh, is there anything else you want to say, Tony? Is there anything else we missed? Um, we covered? I know you got a notebook there. Is there anything? Uh, no, we, we exhausted it pretty good. Uh, we did everything that I needed to say. But uh, for all my friends out there and stuff like that, hey, I don't know who you are, but I miss you. That's good. Uh, all right, guys, we're going to wrap this up. I want to thank our promotional partners, Jelco, Working Athlete, Klein Tools, Co. Eyewear, Superior Glove, Buckingham. Uh, special thanks to Daniel Sanchez, son of Foreman, or excuse me, German Lyman, Easy Sanchez um, for this music right here, this song you're listening to. Lyman Mama. Lyman Mama. High Voltage Commando. Appreciate you guys. Uh, you guys, episode 18, the Power Element Podcast, Tony Vega. Tony, I appreciate you, man. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, guys. You have a good one. Take care. We'll catch you in the next one.